Hi, this is Dave Coulier, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Okay, let's rewind. Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's Dan Savage. One of the best parts is people get to see I'm not omniscient. Uh, a funny thing that often comes up is people will ask me in interviews or ask me on the street or in public restrooms how it is that I know all the answers. And I look at them and say, I don't print questions I don't have answers for. Been wanting to talk to Dan for a long time. As I explained in the interview, we started uh, writing for alternative newspapers about the same time. His career has gone a little bit better than mine. But uh, yeah, he's also the frequent target of our friends over at Newsbusters and the Media Research Center. And again, doing the air quotes with research. Uh, we haven't really uh, hammered those folks in a long time, largely because I stopped following their Facebook and Twitter feed because, man, it is just crazy, man. Liberal media bias this and liberal media bias that. But uh, we had a great talk with Dan uh, about, you know, his career and, you know, his thoughts and you know, the uh, it gets better movement and things like that. But uh, to kind of celebrate Dan being on the show, I'd like to replay my most favorite dumb bit ever, and it involves Newsbusters. It's when they attacked a stay-at-home mom with the assistance of Huffington Post. I think Huffington Post is a little culpable in it. But I'll explain everything in the dumb bit. Do enjoy Dan Savage on the other side. Oh, and Song of the Week and a special announcement at the end of the show. Stay tuned. Newsbusters and their parent organization, the Media Research Center, and I'm using those annoying little air quotes when I say research. Uh, anyway, they're vigilantly fighting an effort to boycott those who advertise on the Rush Limbaugh show. But don't worry, they still have time to attack a stay-at-home mom, which is the subject of this installment of... What kind of nonsense is that? Rita Templeton is a mommy blogger. She has her own website slash blog called Fighting the Frumpy. A few weeks ago, she wrote a post called The Naked Truth. A bit of an overused title, uh, if I do say so myself, uh, but it seems like every story about nudity seems to use that title, you know, the naked truth about celebrities, the naked truth about blah, blah, blah. But anyway, uh, her basic thesis was, and it was a good one, as the mother of four boys, ages two to nine, she decided that if her sons accidentally saw her naked getting out of the shower or whatever, seeing her get into her pajamas, whatever the case may be, she wouldn't freak out and might even view the situation as a positive. Now, the Huffington Post runs her stuff too, so like me, she's not making money from several places on the internet. They, of course, uh, picked up on this, uh, but they decided to change the title to Why I Want My Sons to See Me Naked, which is a completely different idea than the one she put forth in the original post. Now, if you've ever lived in a house with other family members, you know people walking on each other in various stages of nakedness. Uh, totally by accident, it just happens. Miss Templeton decided such situations were no big deal. She didn't, as the HuffPo version of the title implies, sit her sons down one day and say, Okay, boys, gather around. Mommy wants to show you something. No. She was talking about accidental nudity. If they happened to see her that way by accident, she wouldn't make a big deal out of it and make them feel like they did something horrible. She also reasoned that if they did happen to see her incidentally naked, that it would be, in the long run, maybe a good thing because it would instill a realistic expectation of what the female body looks like. Boring, but you know, in a good way, a healthy way. It's a good thought. Okay, this of course is where Newsbusters and the Media Research Center show up. Now, Newsbusters uh, and the Media Research Center, the Media Research Center owns Newsbusters, they're not the brightest bulbs on the internet, and uh, being the narrow-minded busybodies that they are, it's no surprise a headline like, Why I Want My Sons to See Me Naked is going to give them an embolism. So the Media Research Center writes a rather lengthy piece decrying her as the worst mom of 2014, and of course their sister site Newsbusters links to it. 
But in case the HuffPo's reworking of the title wasn't inaccurate enough, they titled their critique, Mommy Blogger Wants to Be First Nude Body, Young Sons See. And this is the first thing I saw on this, and when I saw it, worded like that by Newsbusters, I knew there was something fishy going on. Now, the Huffington Post also had Miss Templeton as a guest on their HuffPo Live streaming channel to discuss the piece. And understand that HuffPo bears some responsibility here because they clearly tried to position this as something titillating when it most certainly was not. The MRC, in their piece, even embed the video uh, in their critique, though they totally managed to draw one wrong conclusion after another. Host Ricky Camillari, for his part, tries his best to make this sound way more exciting than it really is. Politics to parenting, HuffPost blogs run the gamut. And every day at HuffPost Live, we like to shine a spotlight on some of the hottest blogs on our site. Mmm, hottest blogs. Go on, Ricky. Now, while mainstream thinking suggests that we cover up and maintain some modesty in front of our kids, it's... Spoiler alert, so does the person you're about to interview. One Iowa mom has made the choice not to be bashful around her young sons, both out of convenience and principle. In her blog, Why I Want My Sons to See Me Naked... Which is not the title of her blog. Her blog is Fighting the Frumpy. That's not even the title of the original post. All right, so... Now, I'm very pro-nudity, but I'm also very pro-modesty. Now, if it's hot out and there's no one else home and I want to wait to put on the air conditioning because, you know, I'm also cheap above all other things, well, you know, okay, sorry, I know, TMIPF. But I'm also the kind of guy who, when I go to the beach or a swimming pool, I'll wear a t-shirt even in the water, okay? So when she says this, I'm not naked more than the average person. I'm completely bummed out. Now, she even goes as far to say that she does teach modesty, like when it comes to using the bathroom. You poop with the door closed, and you close the door in your shower, and stuff like that. But she also realizes that it's hard to control four young boys. As much as I teach them about knocking and about modesty, they barge in. Kids do that. True that. But the best part of all this is toward the bottom of the Media Research Center piece, where they highlight some of the points she makes in the HuffPo live interview, but does so in the weirdest way. They call out where she says she wants to teach her children not to be ashamed of their bodies, but instead of using the whole quote, they just put the word ashamed in quotes as if to indicate that that's crazy talk. You should be ashamed of your body. And if you're not ashamed of your body, you'll make Jesus cry. They also point out that she says her partner understands all this and highlights just the word partner in quotes because to the Media Research Center, that's code for something evil. What's funny is she's not the one that brings up the word partner. Host Ricky Calamari does. What, what's, your, what's your partner's uh, nudity policy? So she just goes along with the word partner. In fact, she didn't even say the word partner. She just says he understands we've sat down and talked about it and so on. Now, remember the R in Media Research Center stands for research. So you'd think they would do some and find out who this partner, quote unquote, is. My guess is either they did and they didn't like the answer because it undermines their whole BS premise, or they were just that lazy and incompetent. Either scenario is likely. It took me less than a minute to find out who her partner is. Her partner is her husband. And it doesn't say how long they've been married, but they've been together since she was 17. Oh, sorry, Media Research Center. It's not a same-sex partner or some dude she's shacked up with and living in sin. But maybe next time, huh? Isn't this the kind of thing newsbusters and the MRC should celebrate? She's married to a man. She's had four kids with him. She chose life. She did not have them. She's a stay-at-home mom. Her pretty little head isn't filled with notions of having a career outside the home and trying to do things that are best left to the menfolk. 
The Media Research Center and Newsbusters should have attacked HuffPo for trying to be click whores and using an innocent post about a common household occurrence to drum up page views. But instead, they try to take the moral high ground with a perfectly lovely woman who, from reading her blog, appears to be a fine mom. So let's review. Newsbusters and the Media Research Center are vigorously coming to the defense of Rush Limbaugh, a very wealthy, very powerful white male who is a noted misogynist, race baiter, homophobe, probable sex tourist, general bigot, and overall awful human being. And they instead are attacking a stay-at-home mom who has been married to a guy she's been with since she was 17, with whom she has four boys, she did not have four boys, she chose life, who lives in Iowa, the heart of the heartland, and they're attacking her because she decided not to freak out if her sons happened to accidentally see her naked. Okay, so we do not have a candidate for worst mother of 2014, no. What we do have, though, is a solid nomination for the most ridiculous thing ever posted by Newsbusters and the Media Research Center. And something that should make anyone reading it say, What kind of nonsense is that? I want to tell y'all that this episode of PF Tape Recorder is brought to you by Old School Shirts, and you can find that at oldschoolshirts.com. What is that, PF? Well, you may recall that uh, we were involved with Home Shirts Cleveland for a long time, an offshoot of Cincy Shirts, and it fe- featured vintage apparel from Cleveland, uh, you know, stores and teams that aren't around anymore, but people still love and remember, and we were also in some other cities as well. But it's been relaunched as oldschoolshirts.com, and now includes Atlanta, Baltimore, Brooklyn, Chicago, Detroit, Houston, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Louisville, Manhattan, Milwaukee, Nashville, Philadelphia, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Portland. Whoops, I I got lost track here. I I went off the thing here. Uh, Cleveland, of course, Seattle, and St. Louis. Now, uh, some cities we have a lot of stuff, like uh, Cleveland and Indianapolis. Uh, Others, we're adding stuff, like Chicago and Phoenix and Seattle. But uh, do head there for your vintage apparel needs. We'll be adding more throughout 2018. In fact, uh, we're going to be involved a lot more with old school shirts in 2018. So do go there. Start shopping. It's a great way to support the show. Dan Savage is a columnist, author, and activist, and he is going around the country currently uh, on a tour speaking to audiences uh, about various things of uh, his interest. If you know Dan, you know what those th- that would involve. And uh, we've been wanting to talk to Dan for a long time. Had a great chat with him. Here now is our interview with Dan Savage. Hey, Dan, this is P.F. Wilson from Minneapolis City Pages. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Good. Good. Well, thanks for taking the time today. I really appreciate this. Uh, I've wanted to, oh, do this inter- wanted to do this interview for a long time. Of, uh, I think we got into the um, alternative weekly newspaper business around the same time. Yeah, I think you started in the early 90s. That's when I started working at Everybody's News in Cincinnati, and your column was mm-hmm. featured in our paper. Yeah. So, um... Cool. Yeah. And... We haven't run into each other at an AND convention, right? Yeah, they didn't send me to those, though. I was, you know, doing freelance. I was a music editor for a while, but then I mostly have been freelancing for the past 20 years and, and doing other stuff. Um, I remember when I read your column at first, you know, I wasn't a fan because I don't think it was for me, Savage Love, uh, just married straight guy. But then I read an interview, or heard an interview with you on Terry Gross's show, in which you described the philosophy behind Savage Love. And can you recall what that was? Because I thought it was hilarious. Uh, oh my God! Um, we called the philosophy behind those. Well, you know, the column started as a joke where I was going to treat straight people yes. straight questions with the same contempt. Yes. <laughs> that, uh, that the straight advice column is always treated gay people and gay right. questions with. 
which is hilarious. Oh. I eventually became a fan when I heard that. <laughs> I got, totally turned me around on it. <laughs> well, so it kind of always was for you. It was for straight people. Yeah. And I certainly get a lot of questions uh, and always have from straight partnered people, not just straight swinging couples. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the funny thing was, you know, I thought that I'd do the column for a year and then the joke would play out. But about <laughs> six months, it turned into a real advice column because straight people liked being treated this way and started sending me real questions. Um, and it, but it didn't seem like it was for everybody. I know it was kind of a, you know, wink and a nod and a joke, but it seemed like it really was for everybody. It kind of took a holistic look, you know, at relationships and sexuality, not just didn't take it from really from one person's, you know, I mean, we knew what time it was with you, but still it seemed like it was for everybody and it kind of, everybody could take something from it. Uh, I hope so, but I always had strict quotas, um, that, you know, at least uh, upwards of eighty percent of the questions have to be by or from or about straight people and straight sex. Because if you drop below eighty percent about straight people, they don't think it's about them at all. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's <laughs> if you true. Get into like seventy, thirty, or sixty, forty straight versus everybody else content. Straight people are like this is all gay. <laughs> We're the majority. <laughs> get back I in know, the closet. That's, that's fine. You should be the majority of the column, and you know the majority of the people out there having the majority of the sex are opposite sex and I want my column to be general and not queer but I've always, it's always I've always noticed it's very funny I get a letter every year from saying I'm from the column's too gay and then every once in a while I run those letters and look at the stats <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so, show just how straight the column is I kind of know how you got the gig, but for for the listener, you could explain. What were you doing before you got the gig? Because it kind of like was serendipitous how you kind of fell into being a columnist, wasn't it? Yeah, I was kind of bouncing around the world with my then boyfriend, and we had just uh, moved to Madison, Wisconsin from uh, West Berlin. That's how long ago it was. And uh, met the people who were moving to Seattle to start with Stranger and met Tim Keck and told him that you should have an advice column because everybody reads those and Tim thought that was great advice and asked me to write the advice column. <laughs> and I'd never worked for a newspaper before or really thought about, uh, I guess it's not journalism I do, whatever it is that I do, uh, before and it just kind of took off. It was a big accident. So how long before um, it was able to turn into a full-time gig where you could like leave what uh, you were doing before? Two, three years I was in Seattle um, working at The Stranger. You know, first we all got paid in pizza and we all had other jobs. Um, and, you know, a couple, a few years under Tim's leadership and the paper started making enough money to, to pay people and to, uh, you know, get people health insurance. And then the paper took off and the column took off and the column got syndicated. And then I was like, holy crap, I guess this is what I'm going to do for a while. And then that turned into the rest of my life. The end. <laughs> Cool. Um, so when you're doing the, the stage show these days, what is that going to involve for people? <laughs> well, uh, the, one of the best parts is people get to see I'm not omniscient. Uh, a funny um, thing that often comes up is people will ask me in interviews or ask me on the street or in public restrooms how it is that I know all the answers. And I look at them and say, I don't print questions I don't have answers for. That's how it looks yeah. <laughs> like I have all the answers. Um, and at live shows, you know, I take questions from the audience on cards. Some people can ask anonymously. I also take questions live. Um, and it's a little bit more like somebody's love cast. I mean, there's a lot of banter and back and forth. But I will, sometimes we ask questions I can't answer. And I'll be like, gee, I don't know. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, the appearance of omniscience 
uh, crumbles under the weight of live questioning interrogation. Uh huh. So was it difficult being on stage like the first couple of times versus just doing the column from your den or your office or wherever you were doing it from? Um, yeah, it is. It's, you know, it's more of a high wire act. I enjoy it. I have a performance and theater background. Um, okay. And I, I, I really like it and like, you know, working with an audience. I also, also like sometimes people come and they want to argue with me or yell at me about something. I also find that very good uh, and And enjoyable. You know, there's... I've always had, uh, you know, and invite call me in dialogue, it's a back and forth, and sometimes it gets heated, and uh, people think that that should bother me, but it's just my Irish Catholic loud family having an argument. <laughs> <laughs> it's a familiar terrain. Now, you're a, a, a frequent uh, target of uh, some f- people we like to make fun of on the podcast, uh, the folks at Newsbusters and the Family uh, Research center, I believe they're called, and I always use the hand quotes when I say research, because they're, you think they'd be better at research, having research in their name, but, um, yeah, so, uh, uh, you know, how, how do you, like, handle, you know, that, those, those kind of folks, or is it just, like, do you, do you kind of, like, go with them on, because that's what we try to do, because, you know, they're, well, they're idiots, quite frankly, or do you just do your job and whatever happens, happens? I just do my job and whatever happens, happens. I don't uh, need to goad them because they constantly are coming after me and trying to turn me into this boogeyman. That's true. Uh, and it, it's funny because sometimes they will attract uh, hate listeners who will come to the, the pod, my podcast or come to the column expecting me to be this caricature that they've uh, drawn at Family Research Council and Newsbusters. Uh, and if anyone listens to me for just a little bit, Particularly uh, someone who's uh, actually a Christian. I don't think anyone at Newsbusters or Family Research Council is yeah, actually yeah, a Christian, but exactly. they do uh, have convinced some actual Christians that they should listen to them. Uh, if they stick around long enough, they actually realize that all I'm doing out here is peddling the golden rule. Yeah. Do others <laughs> do have them doing to you. It's just that more can be done unto you in my universe than in theirs. Yeah. <laughs> but the advice I'm giving is. Uh, Pretty Christian. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, what they don't long enough to get the point. Yeah. What they don't. Re- they never seem to point out. And we point this out a lot on the show. Is with like you and Stephen Colbert is another one. They never point out your background. And Stephen Colbert is a Sunday school teacher for crying out loud. They never point right. that out. But do some research, gang. And yeah, they they the uh, Bill Donahue's Catholic League is always attacking me as anti-Catholic. And uh, maybe at the you know, the eighth paragraph of the press release attacking me. They'll mention that I was, I'm Catholic. <laughs> yeah. And it's not and, like you abandoned uh, in your faith, because I remember, I think it was on Terry Gross's show, you'd mentioned that, was it when your mom passed away, you kind of went back and were visiting church and kind of trying to find some answers and, you know, and embracing it again, but you were still, you know... You I were, was finding some solace. I, yeah. call, I consider myself culturally Catholic in the way that so many of my friends who are Jewish yeah. uh, eat bacon and don't believe in God, but... Do Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah to affirm their cultural identity issues, and uh, getting to know people, uh, get, you know, witnessing that. I guess witnessing is kind of a Christy word to use, or a funny <laughs> word to use. But watching that made me realize that I could uh, not be so aggressively hostile to the traditions uh, of the faith in which I was raised, because it is culturally affirming. It does make me feel connected to my uh, late mom and my grandparents and my grandparents and all these other crazy Catholics in my background. You know, I can't go home to the, the, the house I grew up in, the apartment I grew up in in Chicago, uh, but I can go to the church uh, half a block away where uh, 
I had my first communion, my mom had her first communion, my grandma had her first communion, my parents got married, my grandparents got married, my mom's funeral was there. Like, that is a physical space I can enter where I can feel uh, like I've come home, not home to Jesus, uh, but home to, uh, you know, connection to my family and new generations. Yeah, it's strange because my wife asked me the other day. She's gotten into going to this uh, new church uh, that's a, a couple of miles away from us, and it's one of these uh, kind of new, kind of uh, it's called Crossroads. It's one of these new fangled kind of churches, I guess, for lack of a better word. She asked me, "When you were a kid, did you go to church?" I'm like, "Yeah, I went. I went to Catholic. We were deep Catholic, uh, and I went there. And like you're saying, that's you know, that's a big part of your whether you like it or not. That's you know, it's in you in some way, and it does inform you." At some level, whether you reject or accept, or you know how else you become the terms with it. I yeah, would, I, I only have about five more minutes. That's fine. We, we need to talk some more. We can talk. Oh, just later one, today. one last. I have to go prep for an interview. Sure, sure. One, one last quick question. Um, uh, you were involved in the "It Gets Better" movement, and I wanted to ask, just ask you: Is it getting better? It seems kind of more polarizing. Where in some ways it's getting a lot better, and in some ways it's gotten a lot worse. You know. People have said that to me, like, oh, I guess it doesn't get better. Look at Trump. Look at the, yeah, yeah. you know, the backlash. Uh, and the attacks on LGBT people, uh, hate crimes against LGBT people are way the fuck up. Uh, murders are gay by men, way the fuck up. Murders, of course, of trans women, way the fuck up. And my answer is, look at the AIDS epidemic. And that was a terrible time. Uh, and it got better because we got in there and we fought. Uh, and we worked, we came together and became uh, more politically active, more politically aware, and it galvanized us. It helped create community uh, and at a terrible, terrible price. Um, and I think uh, we can look at the challenges we're facing now, and we can say, oh gosh, I guess it doesn't get better, and we can all lay down and die, or we can get up and fight. And in that getting up and fighting, that's what makes it better. It doesn't get better because you sat on your ass, and had a sad. It gets better when you get up off your ass to shake off the sad and fight. And I see people doing that everywhere. That's what the resistance is about. That's what Indivisible is about. That's what Demo uh, lefties and Dems pouring money into uh, Dem challengers all over the country. It's what the 360 women running for Congress is about. It's what the Women's March is about. Uh, so yeah, if you want to be a pessimist, you can look out there and say, nothing ever got better and nothing will get better and it's only going to get worse. An optimist, you see the immune system response uh, to this uh, pathogen that is the right and the alt-right and the Republican Party and Donald fucking Trump and <laughs> these goddamn Nazis. You see the immune system response kicking into high gear and you look to that and you think, that's going to get it better. That's going to make it better uh, if we lean into it and fuel it and support it with our time and our money. Awesome. Well, you're fighting the good fight, sir. Keep it up. Keep leading the charge. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Print piece will be in City Pages. Podcast will drop in a couple of weeks. I'll let your publicist know all the deets. And uh, again, thanks uh, again. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And thanks. Maybe I'll get to meet you in Minneapolis. Let me know if you want tickets to the show. Okay, great. Uh, I'll be in Cincinnati, but I'll explain that to your publicist. Thanks. Oh, okay. <laughs> thanks, thanks right, Dan. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to Dan Savage for being on the show. What a great chat. 
Uh, so let me see. If you want more information on Dan Savage, you can check your local alternative weekly newspaper. His column probably runs in there. And he's also touring the country doing a couple different things. He's doing uh, Dan Savage's Hump Film Fest. Don't know what that is. But uh, it starts in Columbus, Ohio, March 2nd and 3rd. Goes to Pittsburgh, March 9th and 10th. Uh, let me see. Then goes to Eugene, Oregon. But it also says March 9th and 10th. Not sure how he's going to pull that off. But let me see. Yeah, it does. Spirit. But, huh. I wonder if he just sends it out and isn't there. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, the reason we had this interview is because he's going to be in Minneapolis, the Pantages Theater, doing uh, a live podcast, uh, his Savage Lovecast, as it's called. He'll be doing it from the Pantages Theater on March 23rd, and then Savage Love Live May 10th uh, in Denver, Colorado. So what you want to do is you just want to go to Facebook and look up Dan Savage, go to his fan page. That'll explain everything. There you go. Special announcement I wanted to uh, alert you about is, uh, I don't know if I told you folks I have a new job. I had a job previously, and it was awful. And uh, I, I think I explained this before. You would think that this kind of stuff happened on TV, uh, but I can assure you it was real life. And uh, kind of to borrow a David Burns phrase, maybe describing the film uh, Wild Wild Life that he did in the in back in the eighties. Uh, it's like The Office on acid. That's what this job was like. Okay, so anyway, you know we've been mixed up with the T-shirt company here in Cincinnati for a long time. Uh, they decided to hire me, and actually they approached me and said, you know, please come work for us, which I thought was awesome. And one of the big reasons is because of the podcast. So I want to thank all seven thousand of you for downloading it, even though you're probably skipping the beginning and skipping the end part and just listening to the interview, which is fine. But if you are listening, thank you so much because uh, it was because of you seven thousand folks and a couple other things uh, that I got this gig, and I had to take a bit of a haircut, as they say. I love that phrase. I want to bring that back. It's so nineties. Had to take a bit of a haircut on the page check, but so worth it. All my life I've heard people say, well, it's not about the money, it's about the opportunity. Horse pucky, it's, it's about the money, Jack. Except this time, it really is about the opportunity. This is going to be great. It's uh, Cincy Shirts, if you're from Southwest Ohio, and you remember used to be mixed up with a thing called Home Shirts, and now it's Old School Shirts. Heard the commercial before the interview. Go to Old School Shirts, the best way to help this program, because it helps me, uh, because I get a little kickback still from that. If we, um, oh, it's hard to explain. But go buy an Old School Shirt, and if you're from Southwest Ohio, buy a Cincy Shirt. Enough said. Uh, so speaking of that, uh, like I said, the re- one of the reasons I got the gig was because uh, of this podcast. They wanted me to resurrect the Cincy Shirts podcast, which we did this past week. And we talked to Thane Maynard. He is the director of the Cincinnati Zoo. And you may have seen the Cincinnati Zoo in the news in the past year because they brought the, this premature hippo, uh, nursed her to health. Her name is Fiona. And uh, so the zoo has become very popular because of her. They doubled the number of visitors they had, in fact, from 20, I think, 2015. 2016 to 2017. Uh, went from 1 million visitors to almost 2 million visitors. So anyway, we spoke to him, uh, the two owners of the company, uh, Josh Sneed, stand-up comedian, and Darren Oblehors, or his business partner, uh, led the interview. And you can go check that out. Just look for the Cincy Shirts podcast. It's also on Podbean, but you can also check it out in iTunes. But we have not deleted the old podcast. You want to subscribe to the new podcast. So please do that and leave a review. Uh, you'll see the Cincy Shirts podcast now. The first guest is Thane Maynard. That's the one you want to subscribe to. So I'd appreciate that. Again, thank Thank you all uh, for your help in uh, turning uh, things around and, and making things better in my life. Song of the week, by the way, for the podcast. I had to find a new theme song. I was just kind of poking around free goal and stumbled accidentally onto this great tune by a group called Big Nothing. They're from Philadelphia. The song is called Cincinnati. It is a perfect theme for the Cincy Shirts podcast. I'm going to make it song of the week this week. It's a bit off the 90s, but a Nerf Herder sounding. Really good 90s rockin' sounding tune. Uh, group from Philadelphia. Song of Cincinnati. It's our song of the week on PFT Tape Recorder. So long and thanks for listening. It takes everything that I got now.